Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, are we witnessing the end of women's sport? I talked to two authors who say that's exactly what's happening. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. I am very much breaking with tradition. I think after I mentioned hockey briefly earlier in the week, I said I'm never going to be talking about sports again because I hadn't up till this point, but I'm going to be talking about it again today in quite a bit of depth, but it's a topic that goes beyond sports because we have in this a lot of other related factors, not the least of which is free speech and also more fundamentally a question of fairness. And it looks specifically at one of the significant evolutions that's taken place in competitive sports in the last several years. You'll understand what that is when you hear the title of the book, Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. It's written by Linda Blade with Barbara Kay, published by our friends over at Rebel News. And both Linda and Barbara join me here for this discussion. Thank you both so much for coming on. It's great to speak with you. Pleasure. Thank you. Now, Linda, your background on this is quite interesting. I mean, you have a strong knowledge of the fundamentals of sports from being an athlete. You've uh, been the leadership of athletic organizations. You've also uh, yourself had a PhD in, in kinesiology, so you understand some of the biological realities at, at stake here. But you've also seen so many people that have spoken up about this issue just get absolutely decimated by activist backlash in the media. Why did you want to not just comment on it, but comment in such a significant way with this book. Well, the fact of the matter is that if uh, somebody like myself, if, if somebody doesn't step up and start saying something, nobody will, because it is such a raw topic that if an athlete says something or even other coaches say something, and especially if they're early in their career, they could be utterly canceled and ruined. And you know, I really don't have uh, that much left to lose. I've had my turn as an athlete. I am a coach. I am president of Athletics Alberta in, in the province of Alberta, track and field. Um, and to me, it's almost an existential threat to our sport. So why wouldn't I say something? I mean, I, if, if I don't say something soon and it keeps going this way, there's not going to really be a sport to deal with anyway. So I might as well say something. Barbara, you've written a lot in the past few years about, about trans politics and, and trans activists. What's your connection to this? Why did you want to jump on board with this project? Well, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in trans activism in general, and I was seeing this uh, idea grow and grow that, uh, that uh, trans women and trans men, but the problem really is with trans women feel that uh, their identity as a woman uh, should should be the basis for legal rights to enjoy the same resources and uh, the same ad admission to private women's spaces as any other woman. That's that's their stance. That's their political stance. And I I watched this uh, acceptance of this idea growing. Uh, with great alarm because I one doesn't have to be know anything about anything. You just have some common sense to know where this was headed in terms of uh, shelters, uh, prisons, and of course sport. 
my daughter uh, was uh, an elite athlete in triathlon. Her daughter is uh, a very fine young hockey player. And the thought of either my daughter in her day of having, and she, she did, she was, you know, did get medals and the thought of her being sidelined by a male athlete who's inherently bigger and stronger and faster and, and everything else, it just kind of blew my mind. And I said to myself, well, I know where this is going to end. Uh, it's going to be with sport because sport is something that is enjoyed by people all around the world. Uh, millions and millions and millions of people. And the one thing it, that sport has in common for all cultures and all so it crosses all socioeconomic guidelines and all races and everything else is they people want to see a fair fight. They want to see a fair uh, a level playing field. So I said, that's that's where the rubber is going to hit the road. So it was shocking to me when the rubber didn't hit the road and uh, the same argument was being used with sport and it was working. And I didn't see any pushback. Uh, I just was, I found that shocking uh, that this was happening in plain sight. Uh, it's like, a, it's like watching, you know, uh, a train wreck about to happen and not pulling the whistle. I mean, I just couldn't stand it. So when I saw Linda's starting to speak out, I, I was so thrilled to see somebody who was a real stakeholder in the sport world, having the guts uh, to say, speak the obvious. <laughs> Um, so it was such a pleasure to be able to team up with, uh, Linda, let her, uh, she's the expert. She had to write the book. Um, I was very eager to be of any assistance I could in terms of, you know, brainstorming how it should go and chapters and format and style and all the, all the stuff that goes with publishing a book. Um, but, uh, I, so I, it's a big honor for me to have been part of this collaboration. One of the most notable elements of this has been the breakneck speed at which something has gone from being an idea that no one had ever heard of to one that in a lot of places is being treated as this unquestionable orthodoxy that you're not allowed to challenge. And just to put that in context, you, Linda, talk about this. You uh, came across this in 2018. You were president of Athletics Alberta. You uh, hear, get, get a hold of this document from 2016, so in and of itself less than five years old, that none of your colleagues had heard about. And this was basically telling you that you had to start looking at a male athlete who says they're female in the same way you'd look at a female athlete you know andrew it was just utterly stunning just like any of the listeners who have never heard this before to the, to the idea that a man or a male person could come along and just say oh no i'm going to call myself a woman today and just think like that's okay just open the gate let them into their female races i mean the whole point in having women's sports is to have a distinct category for the female body. I mean, female bodies are completely different than male bodies. You know, whether a, a trans athlete will win or not, and people say, well, they don't win a lot. Well, it doesn't matter. They're not the same body. It's, it's a completely different design. You know, and I often say it's like putting a Formula One car into stock car race. They're completely different designs, even without even without an obvious advantage, it would still not be correct because you have to compete like with like. And I, I mean, there was just no justification, Andrew, for this to have happened. And I really believe it's our Canadian politicians letting us down by passing, passing a bill, Bill C-16, 
that is now being interpreted by all of the sort of middle managers and bureaucrats across the land as if somehow we have to you know wedge all these people into areas where they really shouldn't be and and you know calling that hate if we don't accept uh, you know somebody crossing a certain line we're still allowed to recognize biological sex according to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and people seem to have forgotten this so you know i think i think it's just the pendulum swinging way too far and then making everybody too afraid to talk about it well, is a lot of this coming, in your view, from people pretending there aren't biological differences or accepting there are and simply not caring? Well, those are two different things. If you accept that there's a biological difference, but you just don't care, then you don't care about women's sports. So, But so I just, just to clarify, do, where do you think the motivation is coming from, from the people advancing this? Are, are they denying there are differences or are they just saying that those differences are secondary to, you know, the need to be inclusive and all of these other things? Both. I mean, there is a sector of people who, amongst my trans friends even, who say, you know, people who I know who are trans who say, no, 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 I, I am a male, but I'm just identifying, I need to psychologically identify as a, as a woman. And then there are those who just say, no, 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 no such thing as biological sex. It's all socially derived. It's all taught after birth. Um, it's only, you know, somehow assigned magically at birth when you come out of the, your mother's womb. Uh, the fact that there happens to be a penis there, it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything apparently to these people. I mean, the fact is that there is a distinction. There has to be a distinction. That's how we perpetuate our species. I don't even know what this is about. I, could, could I just add one thing? And that is that even uh, there are people in the official levels of sport uh, organizations and uh, the former head of sports sociology uh, I had an exchange with him uh, at, U at University of Toronto, and he did admit, he said, well, yes, there is, ma males do have a slight, he, ten he will admit, to, a lot of them will admit to say something like 10%, but he'll say, but that's no different from other uh, disadvantages uh, or advantages like economic uh, resources or having an unusual wing, like if you're, if if a male has a uh, that swimmer Phelps, was it Mark Phelps who had the unusual wingspan, that sort of thing? He says it's no different from that, but but it actually is different. And 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 just one other point I wanted to make about people who say, but they don't always win, or they don't win very often. Uh, it's very important that people, I think, in sport, not concentrate so much on who's on the podium, but sport is a tremendous matrix teams and, and trying out for teams and getting scholarships and who's, who's uh, considered in the top 10 or the top 20. I mean, if you're a tennis player, it's the top 100. So if you take a male who was not even, uh, who's a mediocre or a terrible athlete, who wouldn't even get accepted on any team anywhere in a male competition, and then instantly is, even if he's the fourth string, you know, even if he's, the last person chosen for the women's team. That's not the issue. He ends up having the fun and the pleasure and the attention, and he has displaced a girl or a woman from that team, or he might even get a scholarship or some other uh, advantage and benefit uh, and really make uh, enhance 
his life at a girl's expense. That's not acceptable. So it's not only about the podium. It's about the whole spectrum of sport. Uh, and it's about the psychological effect on girls who see their chances slipping away and say, you know, I don't even think I want to try out for soccer uh, next year because, you know, so-and-so is on the other team. I don't want to get hit by a soccer ball, you know, 80 miles an hour. That, like, be, So it's not, it's not appealing to me anymore. Uh, so there's, there's such a range of unfairnesses beyond who's on the podium. Just wanted to make that point. I, no, I think that's well taken. I, I, but I think who's on the podium matters as well. There was one story in the book that stood out. I, I'm chuckling because of the absurdity of it, but there's actually something quite ridiculous about this. Uh, a male-born NCAA competitor who was 390th ranked as a male and then won a women's championship race, uh, so went from 390 to number one, and their coach attributed it to their strong mental power. And something like that, if you were to tell the average person to go back to what I said at the beginning, they would say is ridiculous. But if you speak out and say that in the wrong context, you will just have everything you've ever worked for taken out from under you and you'll be subjected to the cancel culture. And and I mean, this this idea of just going from 390th as a male to first as a woman and that someone's going to say, well, that was your mental power and not accept any other variable as contributing to that. And what does it say about the other women? What, what, what the coach <laughs> is saying is, well, they probably didn't try very hard because look, this guy had a great, or this woman had a great mental attitude and went from 30, 390th to first. Uh, what does that say about all the women that, that, that came after him? Uh, if you had the proper mental attitude, maybe you could have been first. So but it wasn't mental attitude and everybody knows it wasn't mental attitude. When you've seen in the associations, Linda, these policies be adopted gradually and, and more and more of them over the last five years, is your sense that the people that are adopting these are, are true believers or is it driven by in a lot of cases fear? Just this is where things are going. We have no choice but to get on board. It's 100% fear. I know they know it's not real. I know they know it's not true. But you know how many people have kind of come up to, to beside me or, or sort of sent a little message saying, please make sure you don't speak for us. Everybody's worried that their funding is going to be tied to somebody saying something uh, that, that somehow some fringe person is going to be outraged or mentally harmed by something we say. Meanwhile, they don't seem to know or care that this this whole ideology and what Barbara was just talking about, this gaslighting, making all the female athletes feel like they're inferior, is mentally harming every single female athlete. Do they not care about that? There was a story that just came up this week of a runner from Connecticut who was actually in the book as well, one of, of several suing. She was, I, I forget the exact event, but she was at the very top and then displaced by uh, displaced by a male-identified competitor who, who comes in. And, and there are becoming more and more of these stories because I think that one of the initial responses I had heard a couple of years ago when people were raising these criticisms is that, you know, every single one of these is an outlier. It's, oh, well, you know, it's one runner in Connecticut. It's one CrossFit competitor. But you get enough of those and you start to see a, a bigger trend here. And, and these are not, in, in your view, you say in the book, 
an insignificant number overall, or even if it is an insignificant number, that still has the potential to have a lot of a, an impact. It's unacceptable, Andrew, that even one woman, one female athlete should be displaced incorrectly by somebody coming in who does not meet the categorical standards. I mean, if a, if a person, let's say they do get to the top of the podium, like Cece Telfer, the one you're talking about going from 390th to first, one person on the top of the podium means every single female in that competition was bumped down one notch. So it affected every single female and her placing and her status within that event. It's just unacceptable to me. To me, to me, it's, it's like saying, oh, you know, what's the difference if one or 2% of athletes are doping, you know, yep. so maybe they won't, maybe a few of them win, but they should be included. I mean, the, see the inclusion, this, this word inclusion is like, um, people sort of go into a trance when they hear it, right? We cannot, we, we must make people feel included. And, and there's something about this idea that if there's 0.02% of the population needs to be included, that means that 99.8% of the population uh, will have to accept uh, a certain level of unfairness in, in, in sport, we're talking about in sport, uh, and, and the fact that uh, however many of that percentage of the population decide to go into sport, that, that in the name of inclusion, they, have to run the risk of exclusion. There's something very wrong with, with the calculation that is being made at official levels uh, that uh, there is no such thing as uh, a, a two sets of rights that are mutually exclusive. So uh, they're, they're concentrating so hard on, on one group's set of rights uh, and they're not putting into the calculation if we give unlimited rights to this group, are we harming or are we, are we diminishing uh, or, or running up against the rights of another group that is protected in the, you know, in the charter? Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying that to themselves. One thing that I, I've heard, and, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing from a, a talking point I've heard repeated numerous times in this debate, is that if you've been in transition for a long enough period of time and you've taken whatever the, the required hormones are, depending on, on which direction your transition has taken place, that after a certain point, any biological difference becomes negligible. Now, a part of that argument has never quite sat well with me just on, on sheer logical grounds because irrespective of, of hormones and, and treatments, bodies are born in a certain way and, and those fundamental bone structures are not changing, for example. But where is that coming from and, and what's your response to it, Linda? That, that, that argument that after a certain point of time in transition, uh, any difference that you might have as a biological male over female kind of evaporates. The culpability lies at the feet of the International Olympic Committee. The IOC, for some reason, was convinced in 2015 to just say, self-ID, you can, uh, a, a male body, a male athlete can simply declare they're a woman, live as a woman for one year, make sure their hormone levels are down for one year, and they're, that's good enough, then that levels the playing field. And they know themselves that can't possibly be true. How do you reduce 
bone size because of a hormone level? How do you reduce the lung capacity because of a hormone level? This is just absurd. And the fact that the International Olympic Committee, the very ones that care so much about doping control and doping, in fact, Russia is out of, you know, in the bad books because they were doping. And yet, you know, if you dope, you dope, maybe you improve by like a 9% figure, something like that. If you are a male athlete, even after reduction of the testosterone, even more than even two or three years, as the studies have shown, you're still up to 30 or 40% stronger than the fellow female athletes. Hmm. It doesn't, it just doesn't compute. How can you say a 9% advantage through doping is bad, but somehow a 30 or 40% advantage because you're the opposite sex is somehow okay. I mean, this is just absurd. I don't know whether somebody, you know, why they lobbied, they paid them off. What happened? Because this just doesn't make sense. And the resistance of the IOC to the voices of women calling for them to suspend that policy till they wait and study it more, uh, they just, they're just deaf. They will not respond to us. Finally, last fall, they responded and said, well, we can't do anything until after Tokyo anyway. But if I had, if I had given them the tip on somebody doping, they would have been right on that. Doesn't matter Tokyo or not. So I, I just don't know what's going on. Yeah, and I think you raise a really important point there. The Olympics are to so many people the, well, the Olympics of sporting event. It's the gold standard. And the Olympics making that decision relatively earlier on, before anyone was talking about this really in, in most circles, them doing that really gave cover for every other organization to do it. Because now anytime it comes up at some local school board, it's, well, if the Olympics says it's okay, then it must be okay. And, and no one has thought critically of it since that point. Well, every other time in, in Olympic history, when women wanted something, let's talk about the marathon. Uh, track and field started in 1928 in the Olympic Games. It took until 1984 to allow women to run the marathon. They had to study it. They had to consider it. They had to do all these things. And somehow when the, when the trans activists got into the committees at the IOC, it took one year and all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's fine. We'll just we'll just open the door. We'll smooth the path for you. Uh, we'll study it later. I mean, we'll just assume that a, a hormone level levels the playing field. I mean, they did not study that. This is the most dramatic thing you could do in Olympic sports, putting male bodies into female sports, and they have not subjected it to any studies. And every single study, there's been 13 studies officially done on pre and post transition measuring their you know biomotor abilities like strength and everything else and um not one study has shown that reducing the hormone levels in a in a male body and a male athlete levels the playing field whatsoever so they have scientific evidence that disproves their policy so they need to to suspend it and that's all we're calling for as women Please suspend the policy. IOC, you must suspend this policy. You have to study it before you impose this on every single female athlete in the world. You did uh, an audit of Rio performance in a few events. I think you looked at the track and field events, the running events. And I, I want to pull up these numbers here. And, and there's a, a chart in the book that, that summarizes this quite well, that men who placed from first to eighth 
in events still had an advantage over women who placed first. So so even the first place uh, female stacked up against a lower ranked male, that male is going to win. And that's not because they're, uh, they're a harder worker than the woman necessarily. It's just because when you strip away all the effort, the mental acuity, all of the preparation, you're still left with a biological difference there. Yeah. There's nothing you're going to do because there are 6,000 variables in the human body that are distinct and different between men and women, whether you're talking about inside the cell itself, the little tiny nano machines inside the cell, or whether it's blood volume or the heart, the, the, the cardio, cardiovascular output, uh, muscle mass, the way the fibers interact, the, the angles of the bone, like there are just so many variables. You're never going to be able to take every single mm -hmm. one of those variables and fix them in a male body so that somehow it aligns with female. Plus, every single one of the however many billions of cells would each have to be changed to from XY chromosome to XX chromosome. It is virtually, literally impossible to change a male body into a female body. We know this. This is just biology. I mean, why would you... Everybody knows this. So if we know that whatever the policy reason uh, was, it has to be sociological and political. One thing that, that I find to be troubling about this debate is that it, it does leave people who, for whatever reason, have a, a particular identity in a, a bit of a limbo situation. Because someone who is male-born identifies as female, your position would exclude them from female sports. They probably have no interest in, in being in male sports and, and wouldn't feel that that situates. I mean, are we heading to a point where we need a third category? Because ultimately, that's the only way forward that I can see that that is somewhat of a middle ground, not that anyone would accept such a thing. Well, if you're going to have a third category, you actually have to have a four, uh, two more. Like you have oh, to yeah, have but a Yes, fourth. you're right, because you need both both directions of transition. Yeah. So what I would say, and the, and the solution that we've come to in the book is that female category needs to be restricted to female athletes and everybody who's anything else goes into an open category that includes males. Um, they can participate. But if you want to have anything extra than female, you have to go into the open category. And I think that allows for, for, for full inclusion and fairness. When you see some of the, the competitors here, some of them have a, a very activist bent to them. And, and you can hear that. And, and some, I think there was one in, in a CrossFit tournament a couple of years ago that almost seemed to be deliberately trying to, to provoke, to you know, set themselves up for a lawsuit and, and all that stuff. But, but when push comes to shove here, you, you've talked about the fact that you believe transgender people are deserving of dignity. You very much reject this transphobia label that you know is, is attached to people uh, that put forward a lot of these these arguments that are rooted in fairness. I mean, how do we find a way to keep people excluded or keep people from feeling excluded, but also respect this question of fairness? We already have it, Andrew. Uh, in my association, as any other sports association in Canada, we have no bullying policy. Um, we will fully accept anybody identifying as they are socially or you know other identities in your life or politics religion we're not going to exclude somebody on the basis of religion on the basis of your politics or on the basis of your identity in terms of gender identity but we compete on the basis of biological sex so we will place somebody in their appropriate 
sex, biological, physical sex category, and then we will not bully them. And that is, it's most fair and most inclusive that way. And in fact, how, what better way to make a statement if you are a male identifying as a female and you show up running, looking like a female in a male race, that is the best way to demonstrate your uniqueness and your, your, your strength of character and your willingness to participate in any kind of category just to participate in sport. If you really care about sport, why would you care which category you go into if you can do it? To be fair, the assertion is not that people are transitioning just to get championship titles, is it? I don't know that. We don't know people's intent, and that's the whole problem. We have different kinds of reasons for, for people to be trans. I mean, it's very clear that if a male who's 35 or 40 decides he wants to transition to female, and if a girl who's 13 wants to transition to man, those ideologies, the backgrounds to those decisions, the reason, the psychological reasons for doing those things are completely different. And so there might be any number of 10 different reasons. I've heard a lot of this thing, like sometimes with PTSD, military men who come back from the battlefield, some of those are transitioning to, to, to women. So I, I just think that sometimes there's some other thing going on in your life and you just need to transition and that's fine. But that doesn't give you sort of carte blanche access to every single, every single space or whatever. And if you care about sport, if you really are just an athlete and then you just happen to want to change your identity, fine, but then compete in the biological category where you belong. I, I think there's, if I could just say this idea that um, everybody uh, if, has the right to be accepted uh, in every uh, place or every organization or every institution, uh, even though their belief system or their identity is, is, uh, does not stack up with that uh, institution. Uh, to me, it's very similar to, you know, if you might want to be a member of the Catholic Church, but you also uh, want to have the right to uh, uh, I don't know, do things that, that, that the Catholic Church doesn't recognize as, so they refuse you communion or something like that. Uh, you, can, you can be very angry at the church. You can say the church shouldn't be like that. You can say that, you know, but if those are the rules, or I, I, another example that I gave in the book is, look, I have American relatives. My mother was American. Um, I felt I loved uh, my, my, my family in the United States. I love the United States. Um, and I, I have property in the United States, uh, but they're not going to give me citizenship for that. And I, you know, that doesn't mean I can vote in the United States. So I can identify all I want as an American because I, I have such a great love for the country and I, and, and, and I have my DNA is, is, well, not DNA, but obviously my, you know, my heritage is partly American and all of that can mean a great deal to me to the point that I identify as American, but that doesn't mean I'm going to have the right to vote. And, and uh, there are limits to everybody's inclusion, no matter what they identify as um, or, uh, or what they wish they were uh, or want to be. And I, I think this idea that, uh, you know, you want something very badly, you want to transition to another sex, gender, uh, that's a huge thing you're doing. So the Maybe you have to give up some dreams to have this bigger dream come true. It uh, doesn't mean that you're entitled to uh, take part in every other 
dream of life that you have, especially if some other dream, uh, you know, impinges on <laughs> somebody else's dream. So, so why can't we just say, I'm sorry that you're, you're this, this ultimate idea that you have, you're going to have both, you know, your gender dream and your sport dream come true. Uh, it can't happen. Sorry, but that just can't happen. I have two things to add to that. Please. When we say, Andrew, even though you said maybe there should be a third category, when we say something like that, we'd even be willing to give you your own category. They, they absolutely reject it. The, the people who are the loudest absolutely reject it. They want, they need to be in the, in the female athlete category to have their gender identity affirmed. So what does that mean? If you tell me that, it means that you're using women's sport as social therapy. And that is not what sport is there for. You can find other ways to be affirmed. They're not interested because they absolutely need to be seen in the women's category to affirm uh, their identity socially. So, so it basically the conclusion, uh, I don't think it's a stretch for me to say and to come to the conclusion in those cases with those people who are insisting that it is a kind of a social kind of therapy. And, you know, I had a second thing to say about that. Sport is the last thing, last place where you want to be if you have some sort of need for like like a therapy situation, because Sport is an area of life, a realm where you hear the word no all the time. I heard the word no, I didn't make the Olympic team because I missed the standard by a little bit. No, you didn't make team captain. No, you didn't make the cut. No, 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 no. You hear no all the time. Everybody else in sport hears no. Why can't they accept no? One thing that I want to, as we close address here, we had just this week a story in Nova Scotia where... The Halifax Public Library was taking a stand after a a bunch of activists, mainly trans activists, were saying that uh, a book that deals with trans issues, Abigail Schreier's book, uh, should not be in the library. You've come uh, come out swinging in this book, Unsporting. Are you expecting the same sort of attitude here, that this book that raises scientific arguments should not have a place in the discourse? If they do try to cancel it, they're making my point. Because the whole point is that we're not allowed to talk about this and that the discussion has to happen, but somehow everybody's covering it up. So if you, if they act like that and libraries and publishers and big, big tech, if they try to cover this up, it it literally makes my point. The book is called Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport by Linda Blade with Barbara Kay. Still available on Amazon for now, right? Yes. Well, I think I have to have a second run. Good. Well, get it, get it where you can is the best advice I can give to people. Uh, Linda, Barbara, thank you so much for your time today and, and delving into this in as much depth as you have. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I got my copy. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you both. Barbara Kay and Linda Blade, thank you so much once again. And that does it for me for today. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. We will talk to you next week, everyone. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.